Hey, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We are going to be in, oh, I just opened up the Song of Solomon. Spontaneous Song of Solomon message. Come on now. Woo. It's not going to happen. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 38. I'm going to get there in a second. So last week we kicked off this new series that we are calling Lost to Love where we're talking about what it means for us as followers of Jesus to go from lost, being before we know Jesus, to loved, which is after we know Jesus. And we talked about this story that's called the Gerasene Demoniac, this this super dramatic and crazy story in Mark chapter 5 where there is a man that is possessed by 6,200 presumably demons filled with a legion of demons and how Jesus actually set him free and commissioned him to be the first missionary. And you heard me talk about um, C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters last week, but even more important than that, a number of you gave your lives up to Jesus, and so I want to celebrate that one more time. Praise God. We love that. That's why we're here. We're here because we want you to fall deeper in love with Jesus and to meet Jesus. And so if you do not know Jesus tonight, my prayer is that you will meet him. But like I said, you heard me mention C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters last week, and so this week we're going to kind of stick with this accidental C.S. Lewis theme and talk about one of his most famous writings, one of his most famous pieces of literature, if not his most famous, which is The Chronicles of Narnia. Specifically the moment in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Lucy, who's one of the main characters, hears about Aslan for the very first time. It goes like this. Mr. Beaver says to Lucy, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. See, in Narnia, Aslan is the great lion who is C.S. Lewis's representation of Jesus in his made-up world called Narnia. Lewis is making a grand statement, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. If you walk out these doors hearing one thing tonight, it's this. Following Jesus isn't safe. And a lot of you last week decided to follow Jesus. And so my hope is that this shatters those unrealistic expectations of what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't mean you'll be loved by all. You will have no pain. You will have no crying, no death, no sickness, no strife or drama in your relationships. In fact, it oftentimes means the opposite for everything I just said. Because following Jesus requires your whole life. See, the garrison demoniac, when he gave his life to Jesus, what did he do? He laid it all down and went into the world and told everyone he knew about who Jesus was. And in fact, today, we're actually going to read just a super short section of scripture, just two verses, that outlines just how true both of these points are and some. So like I said, Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 and 39 It says this, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake 
will find it. I'm going to read that one more time. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. I pray that tonight we would come to a realistic understanding of what it means to follow you. God, I pray as we explore this just a super short section of scripture that you would open up our eyes to the reality of what it means to be a disciple of you, Jesus. Be with us tonight. Praising your name. Amen. So we see in just these two verses, there is a really high price tag on being a disciple of Jesus Christ, on being a servant of Jesus Christ. See, it actually requires something of you. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about how this, this something that is required of you is not the thing that earns you your salvation. But this something that is required of you is because of your salvation. In other words, your life is not your own once you've been saved by Jesus Christ. It's Jesus's. And what I mean by that isn't this like super crazy, like all of a sudden uh, you need to, you, if you don't do X, Y, or Z, like Jesus is done with you. What I mean by this is when, G, when your life is Jesus's, like you are supposed to live differently. All of a sudden, in moments when you don't want to love your neighbor, you choose to love your neighbor. All of a sudden, when you feel tempted to cheat on your math quiz because you didn't study last night, well, you shouldn't cheat on your math quiz. See, it's really practical. Choosing to do the right thing is a sign that your life is not your own. In worldly terms, this would mean a complete capturing of your freedom. If your life is not your own, the way the world understands this is it means that like you are no longer free. Like your freedom has been captured. But in biblical terms, it actually means the opposite. It means an unleashing of true freedom. Because freedom is only found when you pick up your cross and follow Jesus. See, tonight we're going to talk about the three P's of picking up your cross and following Jesus. I believe this small portion of scripture has three very important truths for us that bring us to a place just like Lucy did in the Chronicles of Narnia. To a realization that following Jesus isn't safe, but it is good. Following Jesus is not comfortable, but it is good. Sometimes following Jesus isn't even fun, but it is good. The first P is the pain in the price of being a disciple. The second is the pursuit in the price of being a disciple. And the third is the paradox in the price of being a disciple. And we're going to start with the pain. It says in verse 38, and whoever does not take up his cross or her cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is a bold statement about the cross. And we have to remember that the disciples at this time and all of the Jews living in Israel, specifically Jerusalem at this time, were well acquainted with the cross. 
Not the cross that Jesus died on, but the cross that people were executed on. See, frequently they would see men walking the streets of Jerusalem with a cross on their back being hauled away to judgment and death on a cross. Crucifixions were public events. They were public punishments for crimes committed. It was, in a sense, capital punishment. State-issued death. So no doubt these disciples would have witnessed the full breath of the pain associated with crucifixion. And the pain that is associated with crucifixion is numerous. In fact, there are really three different types of pain that's experienced when you are crucified. The first one is simply the suffering in the midst of this pain. See, the cross brought about a great deal of extreme physical suffering to its victims. Scientists actually consider crucifixion to be the most gruesome way to die or one of the most gruesome ways to die in human history because of the great amount of pain that came upon the cross. So I wonder, have you ever pondered what it would take to be killed by a cross? To be killed by being hung on a cross. Because if you've never gone into a depth of study to find out what it actually took to die on a cross, let me tell you it is gruesome and it is hard to stomach. And I'm also actually going to walk you through the realities of what it meant to be crucified. So like I said, I'm going to warn you, it is evil and it is gruesome. So first, they would make you carry the cross they were going to execute you on. Now, these crosses were not light. They were tree trunks of sorts that have been whittled down slightly in order for a human being to be able to hang on them. So they'd make you carry your cross, the very thing you were going to be killed on, up to the location of your execution to hang there for, if you are lucky, the next 24 hours. Once you got to the location of your execution, they would lay down the cross, they would put you on top of it, and they would take nails as long as bananas and drive them through your wrists or through your palms and through your ankles as they are stacked, stacked on top of each other, binding you to that wooden cross. Once you were bound by those nails, they would hang the cross for most of the city to be able to see as the weight of your body pulled down on your arms and made breathing incredibly difficult. In fact, in order to breathe, you would have to push up on the ankles that had a nail piercing through them. You can imagine the pain that would be felt as the wound got bigger and bigger, and tore further and further up your legs. The weight of your body would pull down your arms, and eventually, your shoulders would completely separate from their sockets. And a few minutes later, the elbows and the wrists would follow. By the time a crucifixion had been completed, the arms would be six to seven inches longer than they were when the nails went through their wrists. 
in order to make it even more difficult for you to breathe, they would bend your knees at around 45 degrees to make it even more difficult to push up on the ankle. And you can imagine once your shoulders, wrists, and elbows had separated from their sockets, you would no longer be able to pull yourself up, and so you would lean onto the nail. It would cause it impossible, make it impossible for you to breathe, and it would actually cause your rib cage to lift up. And scientists say you would be in a perpetual state of inhalation, like you wouldn't be able to exhale. You could only ever inhale, and suffocation would soon follow. And eventually the heart and the lungs would stop working as blood drained through the wounds and you would die not of puncture wounds but of your lungs filling with liquid because you could not breathe over the course of 24 hours. If they wanted you to die quicker, they would break your legs so that you couldn't push up and breathe and then you could die as soon as 30 minutes after being hung on a cross, the longest executions took over 35 hours. But friends, do we have to endure this pain? We don't. Because Jesus has already done it for us. But Jesus' point in this whole portion is this. You will not do well in following Christ if you cannot take physical suffering for his cause. So, rhetorical question number two. What are you willing to take physical suffering for? I know for most of you, you'll take a great deal of physical suffering for the name on the front of your jersey when you're playing whatever sport it is that you play. You'll take elbows to the chin. You might take a puck to the face or to the neck. You might take a a, a broken bone, a torn ACL, or another ligament, all for the sake of the name of your school or team. But would you do the same for the sake of Christ? And then yesterday, like, well, or on Tuesdays, our team kind of gets together and we share our messages and we provide feedback. And one person said to feedback, like, Matt, what if, like, what does that mean for high school students? Because like a high school student probably is going to be beaten up for their faith. But then I thought about uh, the, the Columbine shooting that happened many years ago where the shooter went around and asked students, are you a follower of Jesus? And if they said yes, they'd pull the trigger and kill them. So we live in a broken world and the reality is that there are people who are out there who are wanting to harm Christians and a day may well come soon when you are challenged for your faith and someone's asking, will you take physical pain for it? I mean, chances of you getting shot for your faith here, not very high. It's probably not going to happen. Don't go home and be like, Matt said I'm going to get shot at school for being Christian. That is not true. I did not say that. There's proof on the camera. But... What about when you are sitting at a lunch table and you're being heckled for your faith? Are you too embarrassed to share that you're a Christian because of the pain of verbal wounds? And yet you'll go on the ice and get hurt there for the name of your school, but you don't want to get hurt verbally because of the name of your God. See, we are willing to undergo a great deal of pain for so many things, but not... Jesus. See, pain is not just physical, it is mental, it is emotional, and it is spiritual too. And so often being a Christian means that we are going to undergo that pain. The second part of pain is the shame in the pain. See, to, be, to, to, to carry and be put on a cross was humiliating. In fact, it meant that the, the carrier was guilty of a crime of some sort. 
And friends, when we pick up our cross, we are saying to the world, we are guilty of something. We are guilty of following Jesus. See, Jesus has taken the guilt off of our shoulders when he died on the cross. And so the only guilt we have once we receive salvation in Jesus is the guilt of following him. There's a great deal amount of shame when we pick up our cross. Friends, following Jesus means recognizing your sin and understanding that it is only the cross that can take away the guilt caused by sin. To be a disciple of Jesus can mean stigma, it can mean shame, it can mean humiliation from the world, but we understand that it is our very need for Christ that drives us to actually pick up our cross. The third is the sacrifice in the pain. The cross communicates one thing clear as day, and that is death. See, I always find it funny that we wear around our necks or we tattoo on our skins or we put stickers on our water bottles or in laptops or on our cars or whatever it might be, a Roman execution tool. Like, I'm a follower of Jesus. Here's a Roman execution tool. Cross. But Jesus has redeemed it to mean something more. Yes, it means death, but it means life too. Because as soon as you are hung up on a cross, you're not going to come down off of it or step foot on the ground alive again. And for us, this speaks to the sacrifice of one's life. To be a true disciple of Christ means one must be willing to sacrifice even their life for the gospel. And for you, that sacrifice might mean you're going to go and be a missionary. For you, that sacrifice might mean that you're going to give up a lucrative career in order to go plant churches. For you, that sacrifice might mean that you're going to have to break up with your girlfriend because she doesn't want you to be a follower of Jesus. For you, that might mean that you're going to have to undergo a great deal of strife in your relationship with your parents because they think I'm a crazy cult leader every single time you come here. There is a great deal of sacrifice in your life that is required when you follow Jesus. So in the pain, there is suffering, there is shame, there is sacrifice. And secondly, there is the pursuit and the price of picking up your cross. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Being a disciple or servant of Jesus involves a following or a pursuit. It involves actually following someone. In this short statement, there's actually uh, this, this, this focus and a forsaking all in this. So there's a giving up of something and there's a capturing of something. The focus in this following is me. Not me, me. Not you, me, but Jesus. Because Jesus says, follow me. Follow Jesus. To be a disciple of Christ means to actually follow Jesus. And like, you might be like, well, duh. But friends, we do not do a good job of following Jesus. We might think we do, but we don't. The way you act, the way you talk, the way you live oftentimes is not the way that one should when they follow Jesus. The life of the disciple is marked by a Christ-centered life. Not a girlfriend-centered life or a school-centered life or a sport-centered life or a fill-in-the-blank-centered life. To be a disciple and follow Jesus means to have a Christ-centered life. So I would ask you, is Christ the center of your life? 
or if I were to ask you, if I took away whatever your center is, would you be able to keep going forward? If I took away football, if I took away video games, if I took away fill in the blank, would your life be able to continue? If the answer is yes, then your life is not centered in the right thing. Your life should be centered in Christ. The forsaking in the following. To be a disciple of Christ means to forsake other interests and activities. You cannot be following Jesus and be following something else at the same time. What did I say a couple of weeks ago? You cannot serve two masters. So your master is either Jesus or it's not. It's not Jesus and your parents. It's not Jesus and your boyfriend. It's not Jesus and trying to get into college. It's not Jesus and your sport. It's not Jesus and your instrument. It's not Jesus and your video game. It's not Jesus and the book you're working on. It's Jesus and Jesus. Not Jesus and something else. And so there is pain in the price of picking up your cross. There is a pursuit in the price of picking up your cross. And there is a paradox in the price of picking up your cross. And this paradox is one of the most beautiful pieces of scripture. Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What appears to be gained by all standards of the imagination is actually a loss. And what appears to be a loss is actually a gain. And friends, that is always true when it comes to Jesus. The world will see what you do as a follower of Jesus and see it as a waste of time 99.9% of the time. The world will see you and your boyfriend or girlfriend choose not to have sex until you're potentially married and think that's crazy. They'll see you eventually grow old and choose to give your time and money to the church and think that's crazy. They'll see you choose prayer instead of a poison like alcohol or drugs and think that's crazy. They will look at your life and everything you are doing and think it is the opposite of what you should be doing. They will think you are crazy, but as followers of Jesus, we know better. When a person commits their life to Christ, the world says you are throwing away your life. But really, the follower of Christ is gaining life, not losing it. Over the past year, you've heard me say this again and again in different ways, but every single command of God's word in the Bible is backed up in the results of disobedience. You will find that not doing the things Jesus says to do and doing the things Jesus says not to do will always result in the opposite result you are hoping for. Coping with a breakup with sex will leave you more broken. Coping with stress with a substance will leave you more stressed out and needing it until the effects or once the effects wear off. Coping with depression with self-harm will leave you in more darkness and numb the pain for a brief second until it comes back stronger than ever. But if you do what Jesus says, you will find yourself falling deeper in love with him. No, all of your problems I just said are not going to go away. So if you're looking for a one-stop shop to get rid of all the things that are bad in life, Jesus is not your answer. But if you are looking for a love that will make all of the darkness in this world worth it, 
then Jesus is your answer. You'll see that this great paradox of the Christian faith is better than anything the world can ever offer you. To gain your life, you must lose it, and to lose your life means to give it to Jesus and go where he tells you to go, do what he tells you to do, and say what he tells you to say. And so there's a high price tag on being a disciple and follower and servant of Jesus Christ. And you may see this Christ tag and feel much like Lucy did when she first heard about this great lion named Aslan. You might be thinking, is Jesus safe? No, he isn't. But he is good. And following him with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind will lead you to a place of experiencing his goodness in ways you could never imagine. And so I can promise you this. No matter the hard in your life, Going through it with Jesus will always be better than going through it alone. Because if you're not with Jesus, you are alone. No matter the hard in your life, going through it with Jesus will always be better than going through it alone. Because if you are not with Jesus, you are alone. And so... Whoever does not take up his cross and follow Jesus is not worthy of him. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. There is pain in the price of following Jesus. There is a pursuit. You must actually follow Jesus. It's not like fire insurance. Matt, I said yes to Jesus. I'm not going to hell no more. You actually have to follow Jesus. You actually have to have faith in Jesus. Your life must look different, and there is a paradox in that life that you live as a result of following Jesus, that when you lose your life by giving it to Jesus, you actually gain life. And the world might think you are crazy, and guess what? You might be, because you believe that Jesus came down, died a death that you could not die, came back to life so that we could have life that we do not deserve, ascended back into heaven, is coming back someday. And friends, that is the truth, but if you're like, that's crazy, let me tell you, it's real. And the truth of that will change your whole entire life. And if you're not with Jesus, you are alone. And friend, I do not want you to be alone. I don't want you to be alone. Let's pray, and I have one more thing to add at the end. Jesus, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would take all of our jumbled thoughts right now, Lord, all of our, whether it's confusion, all of our questions, all of our just longing to know more of you, God, and would you just simplify it and help us to fall deeper in love with you. God, my prayer is that every single student and leader and guest in this room would leave this church tonight being able to point at something and say, because of that, I fell deeper in love with Jesus tonight. God, for the student that's like, I I have no faith, but I want some. God, would they just hear these words that you say in the book of Romans, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Lord, would they just make a confession of faith and a belief of faith in their heart and tell their leader about it? God, we're here because we want more students 
in the southwest metro of Minneapolis to know Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you in your name. Amen.